You can get your worship guides out and follow along on Version as well. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, welcome to Connect Community Church. Um, it's an honor to be with you this morning. We're in um, a series entitled, obviously, as you just saw, The Holy Spirit. Everybody say The Holy Spirit. And so we're just kind of clearing up some of the confusion regarding uh, the third person of the Trinity and his role in our lives. Last week in part one, we kind of embarked, you know, on a journey and just started talking about some of the misinterpretations, some of the misinformation, some of the kind of um, barriers and boundaries to really embracing the Holy Spirit, not just the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about really the primary role of the Holy Spirit um, as represented by and through the words of Jesus. And so we, I thought really the best person to talk to you in essence about the Holy Spirit was Jesus himself. And in John chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus unpacks this incredible helper, friend, advocate, comforter person who is to be with us. Amen? And so if you missed part one, I encourage you to get the CD. It's down in the lobby, I believe. It usually is. And then also you can visit us online and just get the podcast for that or um, on our new website. Amen? Is, by, by the way, have any of you guys seen our new website? Raise your hand if you've seen our new website. Isn't it nice? Yeah. And so it's just going to keep improving. You'll see new things uh, all the time. It pretty much is like a Porsche. It can do whatever we want. It goes really fast. Uh, so we're just building more and more things. And within very short order, we, sh- we will have our own um, uh, phone app as well for the website. So that's in progress. It started just this last week. Yeah, so you should see that soon. And all the major functions of the website will be on that, that app as well. Isn't that exciting? I can't wait to just... I, I enjoy doing the one-year Bible on my phone. And, um, and so we'll have that available for you guys as well. It was really great this morning to just read about the life of Joseph and uh, Genesis 39 and following, talking about his life and just seeing, you know, the different ways that he was tested. I just thought his character, you know, character, some people say faith, some people say character. Faith or character that isn't tested can't be trusted. And so it's important for things to go, for us to sometimes see these opportunities that we face, sometimes temptation as tests to build our character. Amen. And Joseph, that's what that was about in the one-year Bible this morning. Okay, Pastor Derek, get back to the subject at hand. So anyway, we're in this, uh, this series, uh, The Personal Holy Spirit. I was actually sitting over there worshiping with my wife, and I uh, just thought I'd kind of uh, ad-lib a little bit or just kind of improv a little bit with what I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying to me. But um, Vanessa was just kind of, I, I think some people, I don't even know how to do this, but I think some people have a relationship with God. It's very personal. It's very intimate. And we struggle to identify with it. We want to. It's like showing up at the party and everybody's already drunk. Did you, is that track? Is anybody tracking with me just a little bit? It's like, I'm late. You know what I mean? I missed it. Like, you know, and I can't really get into, I can't be as happy as they are. They're way further along. And people are that way spiritually. It's kind of a parallel. And, and some of that, as it relates to your relationship with God, specifically the Holy Spirit, has to do with how you view him, how you treat him. And, or, you know, I, I'll use my wife as an example. If you want to have a good relationship with wife, it, it, it's determined by how you treat her. I should have some amens out there from some of the men. Men, you missed a really good opportunity, and you're going to pay for it later. Uh, but anyway, 
you know, you gotta, when you, you, how you treat her will determine how the relationship's going to go. If you walk her to the car, you open the door, you know what I mean? You compliment her, uh, you know, you speak to her, look into her eyes instead of the remote, you know what I mean, like the men do, you know? Honey, I'm trying to talk to you. I, I, my ears are pointed right at you, baby, you know? No, that doesn't work like that. You got to look right at them, you understand? So some things have to do with how we treat people will determine what the relationship, the intimacy of the relationship. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there, but if you saw the Holy Spirit as a person, which we're going to talk about today, you would treat him differently, and you would have a different intimacy level or relationship with him, and it would be evident. It would be uh, observable. Amen? Anyway, so the question of the day today is kind of like, is he a person? I want to do some kind of theology, kind of talk about the attributes of the Holy Spirit and unpack some things for you as we go forward. So um, there are actually entire the- you know, theological systems that have gone out of their way to um, you know, communicate the idea that he is not a person. In fact, uh, the Jehovah Witnesses believe that he is not a person. They believe he's just a force, he's just a power. And the problem is, if, and, and this is what's so important to our whole series, and this has been the big idea for the series, if you can't see him as a person... You can't have a personal relationship with him. You don't have a personal relationship with a thing, with an it, with, with, you know, with the force. The force is strong with this one. No, you can't have a relationship like that because it's not a person. And so uh, Jesus left, so he, he actually said, I must go. It's better. He even said that I, he said, it's better that I go so that he will come. So he left Jesus came originally to restore, restore the, the breach and build back again the bridge between God the Father and man because sin separated us. That's what Jesus assigned. He, was, he came from heaven to earth to show us a way to be able to connect with him. Then he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did all that for us. But then he said, I must go. It's better that I go so the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit is here so that that relationship that was restored could be reproduced over and over and over again. Make sense? Jesus restored a relationship. The Holy Spirit wants to reproduce that with everybody, anywhere, all the time. And so the bottom line is there's been a lot of controversy about this subject, as mentioned last week, and, and we won't do that again. But this, this uh, next statement may kind of seem funny to you, even heretical, um, but I think some of you have thought this at some point or at some time in your life. Sometimes I think of things, you think of things on how we can help God out. I come up with ideas on how I can help God out. Anybody know what I mean? Like sometimes I think we could clear some things up. You know, if I was talking about, I'll just take money or stewardship. If you could just put, some of you get this, but if you could just put Malachi 3 in the New Testament, things would have gone a lot better. You know, or make it more basic. If you could have just taken Leviticus out of the Bible altogether. If you could have removed mosquitoes from the planet Earth. You know, there's just sometimes I have these ideas that I think he should consider. And, but with regards to the subject of the Holy Spirit, I heard one pastor say that the problem with us not seeing God as a person is because of his name, the Holy Spirit. The problem is it's, it's his, his name is what some people have said. And it probably would have been better, one guy said it would have been better to give him a name like Bill. All right? Come on now. Like, you know, think about it. Like, I was talking to Bill this morning, and Bill said, you know, get thee up, you know, from thy bed, 
for thou hast slumbered too long. It, see, it sounds right if you think about it, if you could refer to the Holy Spirit as Bill, and this would work out well. If you think about it, if you carried this out, this would work out well in a lot of the denominations in our church today, you know? Like in the formal denominations, they could call him William. <laughs> the churches that are a little wild and crazy, they could call him Billy. Wild Billy. Uh, some of the black Pentecostal churches could call him Willie Z. <laughs> Our Jewish friends could call him Will I Am. I got some of these on Facebook. I did a little survey last night on Facebook, and some of you guys, I told you I'd weave this into the message. The extreme charismatics could call him Willie Nilly. Kids who were afraid of him could call him Willie Wonka. People who were from the hood could call him Wills or something like that. The Spanish churches could call him Guillermo. The Scottish churches could call him Liam. Pastors of L.A. could call him Slick Willie. Anyway, you guys get the point. But uh, it's, it, the point is, and not to be sacrilegious, but I later realized that there are many names for God. None of these really work. But, <laughs> uh, but the Holy Spirit is really more a description of him. It's a descriptive name. It's more about his function within the Trinity than it is his name. If you look in the scriptures more fully, you'll see that like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when you think about the Holy Spirit, his name is actually God. The description of the Holy Spirit or the function or his role within the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? So he, he, his, his name is actually God. It's an extremely important to see him as a person. And how do you know he's a person or what constitutes a person? If you, um, you, know, um, you think about people, people or what to constitute a person is a person has a personality. This is probably the simplest definition is a person has a personality. Uh, but a more complex definition is that a person has a soul. Everybody say a soul. It's a little more complicated, but it may be hard for you to imagine this or think about this, but you need to know that, that the Holy Spirit has a soul. God has a soul. Do you think that? Do you, do, you, do you believe that? Let me show you. This is just some scriptures I'll reference quickly. I think these are in your notes. Matthew 12, 18. I'm just going to give the last part of it. It says, in whom my soul is well pleased. The Father speaking there. We don't think about God having a soul, God the Father having a soul, but the infallible, inerrant, inspired scripture says he does. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, my soul, Jesus spoke, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. That was Jesus' own words. Hebrews 10, 38, it says, my soul, this is taken from the New King James or the King James, my soul has no pleasure in it. When we shrink back, when we fall back, it's spoken of there. That's the Holy Spirit. My soul has no pleasure in it. What constitutes a soul, so if a person is a personality, a person is a person with a soul, what is the makeup of a soul, an entire soul? God actually saves our soul. He saves every part of us. But a soul is made up of a mind, a will, and emotions. A mind, a will, and emotions. That basically is referring to your thoughts, your desires, and your feelings. I'll resist singing at this moment. You can introduce the guests to that. Um, so a mind, a will, emotions, or thoughts, desires, and feelings. There's a direct correlation between those two things. 
And there are tons of scriptures that describe God with thoughts and desires and feelings. He's in the scriptures, it talks about him being happy or well-pleased or his will was for this or his will is for that. His desire was to do this or his desire was that. He was sad. He was angry. A lot of us remember that kind of scripture in there. We see that, that pops for us. But there are other ones that are very positive. And we need to realize that there's basically realize that there's someone living inside of us and, and he has thoughts and he has desires and he has feelings. And is it possible, if that's true, if we have someone living inside of us who has a soul, who has thoughts, who has desires, who has feelings, is it possible he's trying to help us not just identify that with that, but also understand that he wants us to be able to think the way he thinks. Maybe he wants us to desire what he desires. Maybe he wants us to feel what he feels. Are you understanding me? That's why when you see somebody that is experiencing God, the presence of God, I think in a, in a, in a flash, in a... You saw a little bit of that with some of the worship team this morning. Um, it's because it's God's trying to show you, demonstrate demonstratively what maybe he feels. When you study in uh, seminary, that's, a, you know, that's not for everybody, but when, when we're in seminary, we study the attributes of God. There are many attributes of God. We're going to study three attributes of God, specifically the Holy Spirit. But we're exposed when we're talking about the attributes of God to what are known as the omnis of God, the um the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God. And you may never have thought about this, but the omnis talk about uh, his soul. These attributes talk about his soul. He's omnipresent. This is really speaking of, believe it or not, his feelings. What happens, in other words, when his presence are, are made known? When God's presence is made known, you feel him. There's a omnipresence, but there's also a manifest presence of God. That's more tangible, touchy-feely, like make your hair kind of stand up a little bit. Some of you have experienced the presence. How many um, honestly can say you feel like you've experienced the presence of God before, like you could feel God? Okay, many. <clears throat> what happens when his presence is revealed to you, feel God? Omnipotence, that's the power of God. That speaks more of his will. Omniscience speaks more of his mind or his knowledge. And when, when we're in his presence, you feel God. Yesterday, even right here, we had prayer at 9 a.m. every Saturday at 9 a.m. for the fast. I, 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 you know, there, was a, there were some times there where I knew he was there, but there were times there when I felt him there. And, and his presence has a lot to do with our senses. You know, we have five physical senses. We all know that. But did you know that you actually have five spiritual senses too? We know our five physical senses. We're very... We're very in tune and aware of those, and when one of them's not working right, you know, we, we try to make it right with glasses or Kleenex or whatever, Q-tips and, you know, whatever. I could go on. I, I won't. It gets gross after that. Um, but we have, five, we have five spiritual senses as well, and God wants you to, he wants you to be able to operate and use those. He wants you to be able to see in the Spirit. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is trying to introduce you in relationship to be able to operate in your five spiritual senses. He wants you to see in the Spirit. There's a story about Elisha in the Bible where he was trying to teach his servant to go and look again, and you're going to see something you didn't see the first time. And he opened his spiritual eyes to be able to see. The Bible says that when anyone turns to the Lord, the Scripture says in Acts, the veil is taken off your eyes like you can see clearly. Now the rain is gone. I, it just, it just, it's a curse. Uh, <clears throat> God wants you to hear in the Spirit. 
Did you know that? The scripture says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. He wants you to taste even. Say, what? The Bible says, taste and see that the what? Lord is good. He wants you to be touched by the Spirit. He wants, in other words, to embrace you. He wants to, you to feel like he's holding you and hugging you. And there's an intimacy there. And, 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 and he wants you to even smell. You know, well, what's he going to do with this one? He wants you to even smell, have like a smell. You know, have you ever made the statement that, um, you know, something smells fishy? Anybody ever made that statement where like something smells fish? It's not because you actually smell in fish. You might, but I, I doubt that. Usually it's because that, that phrase is, is referring to dis, you discern something's up. It's discernment, see? There's a discernment there. Something smells fishy. In other words, you know, God gave you a nose in the spirit so you could sense when something is wrong. I was actually, my smeller was going off. Recently, I was reading a book that somebody gave me. I get a lot of books given to me. Everybody wants me to read their books. I got piles and piles of books. I mean, I could be reading every second of my life. So I have to kind of, you know, organize them, you know, and just chip away at them, chip away at them. But I was reading this particular book, and I'm going through and trying to relax, you know, while I'm reading, not have to, like, you know, um, have my defenses up, so to speak, because you never know what you're getting. And sometimes people hand you a book with, like, an agenda. You need this for your church you have a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, come on, wives, you know you do that with your husbands. You kind of put that book on the coffee table, just open it up to a certain page, <laughs> hope they read it, highlight it, <laughs> put a candy on top of it. Uh, people do that with me as pastors, you know what I mean? So, but I was reading this book and my smeller went off, so to speak, but there was something wrong here with what I was reading and it was coming in. And the Holy Spirit, something smells fishy here. There was something doctrinally off there and I need to be careful. The Bible says, watch your life and doctrine closely in the book of Titus. Are you tracking with me? So God wants to give you these senses. So we're going to study the attributes. So the Holy Spirit, number one, he has a mind. He has a mind. He has thoughts. Isaiah 55, we used this in our most recent series. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are actually higher than your thoughts. Why would he say my thoughts are higher than your thoughts if he didn't have a mind with thoughts, Right? He could, he could, you can't have thoughts without a mind, so it's clear he has a mind. John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, will come, he will guide you into all truth. How can he guide you into all truth if he doesn't actually know all truth? Again, he is omniscient, omni-science. He has all knowledge, all knowledge. Do you know that God, you know, um, when you think about it, this is a question for you, do you believe God has an IQ? I wonder what God's IQ is. Do you know Einstein's IQ was 209? Just a couple of points ahead of me. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Way, a couple hundred points. That'll reveal how far away. But anyway, God doesn't have an IQ is the truth. IQ stands for intelligence quotient. All right? Intelligence, we understand that, but quotient is something that's measured, something that can be, kind of you can put a system or formula of measurement or metrics to it. And God's intelligence, I should get an amen after this, is immeasurable. He doesn't have an IQ. He just has an I and a lot of it. Think about it. Think about it because if he had Q and, and, and it wasn't just I, then he could learn some stuff. God could learn some stuff. Did you know that he never, he never thinks about something and, and, you know, and says, you know, I, I didn't know that. God never says 
the phrase, you know, it occurred to me the other day. It just occurred to me. No, he never says phrases like that. He doesn't have anything to learn. He's never done that because he knows everything at once, all at the same time. And here's the good news. You have someone living inside you, come alongside you, who knows everything. And so if we, could be, if we could see him as a person, establish a personal relationship with him, can you imagine the access we have to his massive server and all that could be downloaded in a moment? Can you get an amen from that, right? So have you ever asked God the question, you know, what should I do? Or what's my next step? Or what, where should I go from here? Or what's the answer to this? You should because God knows everything and, and he, ha- he, is, he has a mind and he has the mind of God. And yet, Scripture tells us, and this is not in your notes, but I think it's 1 Corinthians 2, 16-ish. It says, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God. Philippians 2, 5 says, have, you can have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Number two is he has a will. <clears throat> there are all sorts of Scripture that talk about God's will. And we've heard them. But let me show you this related to the Holy Spirit, Okay. His, that the Holy Spirit actually has a will, a will. A will, by the way, is like a muscle. The will, if you saw, if I had a chair right here and I was sitting on a chair, feelings, emotions sit underneath my will, okay? So when our will is weak, then our feelings and our emotions rule us. They can flip us off the chair anytime we want. They can make us not get out of bed the right way. Are you guys tracking with me? So your will is oftentimes emaciated and atrophied, and that the will is strengthened by Christ. Christ needs to be sitting on the throne of your life. And as you surrender and consecrate and submit your life to Christ, you gain a stronger will, which gives you the ability to have leadership or, or, or have those other areas of your life subordinated to and submitted to your will. Are you tracking with me? So, but our will must be submitted, in essence, to God's will. That's what Jesus was doing in Gethsemane. He was fighting his will, surrendering his will to God's will. And he did it, and he overcame. Amen? You getting that picture there? So anyway, the Holy Spirit has a will. In Acts 16, 6, it says this. Now, when they had gone through Persia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, that was just one time only because later they went back there to preach. But that word forbidden means to exert exert some, your own will, to exert your will. The Holy Spirit was in this scripture exerting his will and saying, don't go there. Don't go there. He forbade them. I submit to you that the Holy Spirit has forbidden us to do certain things many times. And we have just gone on ahead. We've just pressed on through. But in this situation, because of where they were in their relationship, they responded. And so, he, But he exercised his will. He exercised his influence. The words of the Holy Spirit had weight, and they carried weight with these people, and they responded. But the Holy Spirit has a will. And since he has a will, and obviously, of course, it is the will of God, then wouldn't it be good to get to know him to know his will? Make sense? So, so the number one question that people ask um, consciously, but also unconsciously, you know, is, is what is God's will for my life? The, the best-selling book next to the Bible, The Purpose Driven Life, is based on this premise. Why am I here? What is God's will for my life? Is it just suck air, 
take up space, abuse God's grace, as I always say? Is there more to it than that? Is it living, everybody is working for the weekend? You know, is it just for Friday night? I'm going to get a couple of them in there. and Just release it. I feel free. Uh, but let me remind you, you, you have someone living in you come alongside you to help you with the will of God for your life. So if you want to get to know the will of God, you got to get to know you got to get to know the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 says, we present our, it's, it's good for us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. So there is a submission. Submission comes in finding God's will and resisting the will of the enemy. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Back to Romans 12. So present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. Then he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which, by the way, comes in relationship with the Holy Spirit, because if you have his mind, then it can change your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what, then you will know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Perfect will is referring to the personal will of God for your life. And I'll separate kind of what I mean by that. The will of God can be broken in two pieces, and I think this is in your notes. The will of God, there's the general will of God for your life, the general will of God for your life, and we know the general will of God by his word. We know it when we pull up the scriptures, the holy word of God, the holy writ of God. The Bible tells you the general will of God. It tells you, you know, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't cheat, you shouldn't steal, you should live, uh, you should honor you know, the principles of honor, authority, submit to authority, your mother, your father. It teaches you things about honoring the Sabbath. It teaches you things about stewardship and the tithe. It teaches you about purity, okay? You understand what I'm saying by the general will of God? It's like the, 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 the moral will of God. It's like, it's like the field goal. Here's the boundaries. We all must stay inside, all right? But then there is the, the personal, or you could say, the specific will of God. The general will of God will tell you how to treat your wife, but the general will of God is not going to tell you who your wife is, okay? You're not going to be able to open up your Bible and it's going to say, John Smith, that's the one. And you can't go over and read it to him and say, see, you're my husband. That won't work, okay? So the general will of God will tell you how to treat a man. The general will of God will tell you how to treat a woman. The general will of God will tell you how to prepare yourself for marriage. Can I have an amen out there? All right, but it won't tell you who. But the specific will of God, we know the general will of God by the word. We know the specific will of God by the voice of God, the voice of God. And here's what Jesus said earlier in the book of John. I still this he said, I must, better that I go, because I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. You'll be able to bear them later when he, the comforter, comes, the advocate, the Holy Spirit comes. He, the Holy Spirit, t- let me tell you, still speaks today. I want to motivate you. I don't feel like some kind of a weirdo or freak of nature. I know some people might think that, but the Holy Spirit still speaks today. What if I'm right? What if I'm right? What if, you could, what if you could just not monologue with God, but you really could dialogue with God? We're living actually in the most exciting times in history for this because the Holy Spirit, you know, he came 2,000 years. Well, he was here from the beginning, all right? But before the Holy Spirit actually manifest at Pentecost 2,000 years ago, entire generations of people 
might only hear from God through one person, one time for a season. And then he would just depart. He'd be gone. He'd just speak to, sometimes there were seasons he'd speak to no one. In one particular season, 400 years of just silence, nothing. You could have lived then. You could have lived then. You should thank God you don't live then. But there were times of, of visitation. He'd come, depart. Now we live in a time of habitation. He'll come and he will rest if we want him to. Where is the house that you'll build for me, the scripture says. The earth, you know, he wants it to be his footstool. He wants a place where his glory dwells, as we sang even in the last song, because he finds people worshiping him. And we make the place of praise and worship, and then it becomes a place of habitation. He inhabits the praises of his people. Can I have an amen? But he used to speak to just people in the Bible, just individuals and Samuels and the Samsons and the Elijahs and the Elishas and the Moses and some of the minor prophets, Habakkuk, Nahum, Amos, Joel, Andy. Just seeing if you guys are paying attention. (laughs) Not Andy. Anyway, do you you know what the the coming of the Holy Spirit meant to us 2,000 years ago at Pentecost? This is is why Peter got up and said, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And basically he's saying, and everybody can hear him now. That's what happened there. Everybody can hear him now. Your sons and your daughters can prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And by the way, I am, you know, seeing visions. And if you're dreaming dreams, you are really old. That's what that, that's what that means. It's in the Bible. It means you're really, really old. Anyway, by the way, you cannot have a personal relationship with someone through someone else. It's the same way with salvation as it is with relationship with God. God has no grandchildren. You're not going to get in because I, I, don't get, I don't get into relationship with God just because my father has a relationship with God. God has children, right? In, the Holy, in relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's the same way. You don't have relationship with the Holy Spirit through someone else, can you imagine, just think about it in a natural relationship. It, you know, if you went up to somebody and you said, excuse me, I don't know you very well, but could you ask my wife, you know, uh, where she wants to go on vacation? I mean, what would you say? No, you ask her yourself. What if you asked, and this is what we do too, what if you asked an even more intimate question? By the way, could you ask my wife how many children she wants to have? Could you ask that person over there if they want to marry me? I mean, you'd say, no, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. And unfortunately, and this is, uh, this is very common, but sometimes people do that in relationship with people who they think have a relationship with God. I'll just use myself. People think, because I'm a professional Christian, people come up and just say, can you ask God for me a question? In essence, that's what they're doing. It happens. And you know what my response is? No. No. Now, don't confuse seeking counsel, all right, There's, with, you know, with seeking God. I, th- I believe it's really important to be able to seek counsel. I believe we're, we're going to have to, but we're going to have to at some point stand on God's word for ourselves. at the end of the day. You got to separate. I can hear God with you, but I can't hear God for you. 
Jesus came to earth to restore that relationship. Jesus left, and the Holy Spirit came to have a personal friendship with all of us as individuals. One time, a man came to the church, and he said, um, and I can remember this vividly, <clears throat> excuse me. He said, I believe God, he said this, we're bold. This, this, he implied his boldness in a weird way. He said, I believe God has a word for me from you. Do you have it? And I said, I got nothing. I got nothing. He said, will you pray about it and get back to me? I said, you know, all right, I'll pray about it. And so I went away, just kind of not really taking it too seriously. The guy was kind of weird. And, um, and I just, the next day, I'm in my devotion. I'm having my quiet time, whatever you call it, just spending time with the Lord. And his, 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 his face came back on my, on my you know, uh, windshield here, so to speak. And I, and I said, God, you know, do you have... You know, do you have a word for that guy? Like, is there something that you would like me to share with him? And God immediately replied to me and said, yes, tell him I want to talk to him personally. And I need to see him in my office tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's just what happened. So anyway, all right. So he has, he has a mind. He has a will. Number three, he has emotions. He has emotions. I want to read uh, to you about the fruit of the Spirit. All of these are attributes of the person, of the Holy Spirit. But in other words, you know, a person, you know, is, is, is different than, let's just say, a tree. A tree can't have these attributes. A person can. Only a person can. But these are the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember I told you in week one that the... The uh, benefits, not just the evidence, I hope you caught that at the end of last week, is a very important point, but the benefits of the Holy Spirit are that we receive power, we receive love, we receive the fruit of the Spirit, and we receive the gifts. It's not just the gift only of tongues, which everybody's all preoccupied and worried about and freaked out about. No, it's the gifts, it's power, it's, it's the fruit, it's love. Amen. You guys track with me? So here's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. No, no tree can love. You, I don't care what organization says they can, they can't. You, you can be a tree lover, tree hugger, but you can't. Trees don't love, okay? Uh, joy, that's another fruit of the Spirit. Trees can't have joy, people can. Peace, long-suffering, kindness. People are kind, or should be anyway, if they're the fruit of the Spirit. People are also very mean. Hurt my feelings a lot. Uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's a great fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Often overlooked is gentleness. The Bible tells us to gently instruct. Even somebody who's caught in sin. This is what's really uncommon in the church today. People come and they're struggling with sin. They have a totally wrong view of sin. And so instead of gently instruct, they just kind of condemningly instruct. They don't get the fruit of the results they want. People run away from God instead of running to God. That's for free. Gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. These are all characteristics of a person. Everybody say, of a person. Ephesians 4.30 says this. Now, look at this. I got some really important stuff, so don't, don't leave me here. Stay with me, okay? I know it's a little teachy this morning. Can you, are you guys getting something out of this? Okay. So it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve, key word there. By whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. It's clear that the, the Holy Spirit then has emotions because you can grieve him. You can grieve him. Joy and grief are both emotions attributed to the Holy Spirit here in, this, in these scriptures here. Just a couple of them. What grieves him? Well, let's look for, back up, I guess, a little bit. Verse 25 of that same chapter, it's there. This is how we can grieve him. Put away lying. Lying grieves the Holy Spirit. 
Seems pretty obvious. Just like lying grieves your parents, or lying grieves your spouse, or lying grieves you when your, when your boss lies to you. Okay, right? Just how you feel. How would you feel? That's a great way to, that's a phrase we can put into this. How would you feel? The Holy Spirit could say that to you and me, and that's how I'd feel. So put away lying. Let each one, if you, do you know how many, do you know how much sin you could prevent if you saw the Holy Spirit as a person that you're grieving by your behaviors? Oh my gosh, it has helped sanctify me. I don't, I don't, how do I say this? I, I still sin, but I sin way less because of the relationship that is being developed and established with the Holy Spirit because I realize I'm offending a person. Oh, I just, I don't even know how to download that better than what I just said. I wish you could, just Holy Spirit help me with that. But anyway, put away lying. Let each one speak truthfully with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Here's kind of the answer. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. What grieves him? Sin does. Let him who stole steal no longer. Stealing grieves him. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has a need. Not giving grieves him. Not giving grieves him. You can see that. Let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth. That grieves him. But only what is good for necessary edification so that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness... Bitterness grieves him. Remember that word bitterness. Say bitterness. Wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another. Kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, as mentioned earlier. Tenderhearted, forgiving, even as God in Christ hath forgiven you. Why do you forgive? Because Christ forgave you. All those things mentioned there, they can grieve him. Why? Why does it grieve him? You know, sometimes I think we think God is just this, he's like a prude. You know what I mean by that? Like he just... Oh, I can't look at that. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, we, we, we have a wrong view of how we think he views sin. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit because it hurts people. And the Holy Spirit loves people. Divorce, why does God hate divorce? God hates divorce because divorce hurts people. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because divorce hurts people and generations sometimes. We can break those curses as you know, and God can restore that which is lost and that which is broken. But do you understand the point I'm trying to make about sin? We're sometimes missing the point here on why he's saying don't do this and don't do that because he's just an ogre and he's just going to, that's just because I said so or because he's a prude? No, he knows because sin hurts people. If I got ready to walk off this platform like this, he doesn't say, oh, what an idiot. He says, that's going to hurt. It's different. It's different. Sadness, here's grief defined. This is a simple uh, definition. I don't think it's in your notes. But, but, but grief defined, it's the sadness you feel with the loss of intimacy with someone. It's the sadness you feel with the loss of intimacy with someone. I, I want you just for a second, just picture this in mind. Think about eternity. That's like thinking about infinity. You know, just think about eternity. Eternity with God, relationship with God, you know. And, and when you lose someone on this earth, when there's a loss, a relational loss, many of you have experienced relational loss, as believers, we know that in an ultimate sense, we will be with that person one day. And so the scripture says, we don't grieve as people without hope, right? Some of you guys know that, right? So we grieve, but we don't grieve as people without a hope because of eternity. Well, no, I say sometimes to people, I even do it in this life when people move away and there's a good chance I'm not going to see them that much. I'll say, I'll say, 
uh, we'll, we'll have all eternity together. I'm, I'm, I'm educating, in a sense, my spirit, you know, that this life is short and eternity is forever, right? So, but we grieve with people, uh, we grieve for those people, but not without hope. We'll spend eternity with that person, but we still grieve. The loss of intimacy for that season is what we're grieving, right? You tracking? You following me? So hear me strong on this. I hope you're ahead of me when you, when you think about this, but we just read a verse earlier that said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit feels grief, and here's why. Because when a believer sins, when we walk in sin, patterns of sin, the reason the Holy Spirit grieves is because there's a loss of intimacy. He knows he's going to be with us one day forever. He knows, we're, in essence, we're not divorced, but, there, but we can't, we're not talking. When I get in a fight with my wife, this is, this, unfortunately, this analogy is not a perfect one anymore, but when I get in a fight with my wife, we're not divorced now. We're just not talking. There's a season where our intimacy has been broken because I've offended her by something I've done or she's offended me by something she's done, which is very rare. But when a believer sins, you don't lose your salvation because salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But God doesn't divorce himself from us, but he may not be talking to us. I want you to get this because if you see the Holy Spirit as a person, you might be struggling in your relationship with God because you are grieving him. Not because he's gone and you'll never see him again or you won't be with him forever one day. And there are two particular sins that grieve him most. And I want to give those to you right now. The first one is bitterness and the second one is iniquity. And I'm going to unpack a scripture from Acts chapter 8. Are you getting something out of this still? Acts 8 is talking about this guy, Philip. Philip was an evangelist. He went to Samaria to preach. The Samaritans all got saved there. They believed. They got water baptized. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit yet. They got saved, water baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. They hadn't received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Excuse me, the Holy Spirit, the falling upon, the coming upon, the anointing, the baptism, okay? So the leaders of the church sent Peter and John to go pray for them and kind of show them that they may receive the Holy Spirit. And it's very clear in Acts chapter 8, they hadn't received him yet. You can see that for yourself. And so there's this guy who got saved earlier, Simon the sorcerer. He's a baby believer, and he sees this whole thing go down, and the Holy Spirit shows up in a big way, and then he wants to buy it. He wants to purchase it. Anybody know the story? Ever heard the story? So he tries to, he tries to purchase it. And, and just as an aside, basically what he's doing was what some people do today. They're relegating the person of the Holy Spirit to just a power or a force. That's what Simon did there. He's not just a power, a force, or an it. He's a person. He tried to buy a person. He tried to make him a slave. Think about how offensive that would be and grievous that would be, right? So Peter rebukes him, rightly so, and then he makes this statement, Acts 8.23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Poisoned by bitterness, bound by iniquity. Now, everything in Ephesians 4 has to do with how we treat one another. But let me say this. If you have bitterness in any area of your life, it's like a poison. And this is just some of the, the things that can, keep, that can grieve the Holy Spirit. But I think these are majors. Bitterness poisons you. It's, it's, it's like something you hope for somebody else, but you get it upon yourself. It's a form of judgment in many respects. It really can bind you, bind you up. And then he says another statement, and bound by iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. 
Now listen, this is good teaching. I hope you can still track with me. Iniquity is a bondage. Iniquity is the bondage in your life that causes you to sin. Sin is an event. Iniquity is a lifestyle. Sin is an, is an act. Iniquity is a habit. Okay? You getting this picture? Where there is iniquity, there is bondage. He speaks to this person and says, you have bitterness, you have iniquity. That's why you look at the Holy Spirit wrong. That's why you can't have relationship with him. You can't have intimacy with him because there is bitterness and there is iniquity in your heart. Let's take sexual sin, for example, just to keep things controversial and everybody paying attention. But in this area of sexual sin, the iniquity can be lust. The iniquity can be lust. That's in the heart. It precedes the the negative behavior. It's something that's there first, but it can be expressed outwardly. There are sometimes in some situations where one is bound by sexual sin and the iniquity is actually rejection. In other words, the woman at the well trying to get her needs met because she didn't have her needs met, she was rejected. She tried to do it through promiscuity. Are you tracking with me? So sometimes the need is rejection. That's the iniquity. Please, and, and, and when there's iniquity there, we do these things. We, 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 we repeat the patterns, we repeat the behavior, and we go to God and say, please forgive me, please forgive me. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Please forgive me. I'll never do it again. You have a bondage if that's happening. Let me just be frank or straight. I could be Bill, but I'm going to be frank. And I want you to know that if that pattern manifests, I do that just to help you, just so you know. But if you have that pattern, I want you to know you can you need to hear me clear, be free. You can be free. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. I remember one year asking the Holy Spirit to speak to me clearly as I start to wrap up. And don't wrap up. You just listen to me as I wrap up. I, I remember talking to the Holy Spirit and, and, and God and just saying, I want to hear the Holy Spirit more clearly. I don't sometimes feel him. I sometimes don't hear him. I want those five senses, spiritual senses to work. And I want to be able to help people because I felt in, inadequate, unqualified. And I know all of you feel that in some area of your life. That's what the Holy Spirit's here for, the omniscient Holy Spirit. And I remember one night I was talking to my neighbor about Jesus, and uh, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me, and I was speaking to this guy. It was unbelievable. It was an amazing, amazing, amazing situation. It's hard to explain. It's It's like being high without any negative fallout, you know, and it just, God was just working through me. And I was thanking God all the way home. Anyway, later that night, I was asked to... Uh, babysit for somebody's kids. I was a pretty young man, but not as young as you think, but I was a pretty young man. And um, I said, sure, I'd like to do that. And I get there. And uh, while I'm, while the, after the kids go to bed, I go downstairs and they got this big TV and they got all the channels and, and I'm on the, I'm, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you guys. And, um, and I stumble upon something really inappropriate to watch. Let's just put it that way. And many have faced what I'm talking about and and overcome, and some, many, many more have faced and fallen. And, and unfortunately, this particular program, I watched it, and I gave into temptation. And, and by the way, this wasn't the first time either. It was a bad show. It was a really bad show. And, and um, I remember leaving that night, and I felt so unclean because I've got Jesus in me. I've got the Spirit of God in me. I've got the Holy Spirit with me. And I felt so unclean, so unclean. I felt like the leper, unclean, unclean. I just, I couldn't get over it. And I asked God to forgive me, and I went through all the confession principles that I've been taught in the scriptures. And, but the next morning, I woke up, 
And even though I was forgiven according to God's word, I felt incredibly distant and disconnected from God. And the same intimacy that I was experiencing the day before where he was talking to me and I could hear him talking and I could do, say things, I couldn't hear anything. Silence. Radio, silence. And I didn't understand. And I didn't understand what I realize now is that that particular activity, that particular event became a pattern, became a habit, became an iniquity in my life, and it became a bondage over time. Anyway, this particular day when this happened, I got, got up the next morning, I couldn't hear God, and my dad got really sick that day, really, really sick. We didn't know what was wrong with him. I thought he was dying, screaming, he was in pain, he'd been up all the night before, I didn't know it. And he ended up, just the short version, he ended up coming through it obviously fine, but he had this gallstone, this massive gallstone. If you've ever been around somebody who has, you know, those kind of things, it's just painful. And I remember crying out to God and feeling guilty, and, and uh, the Bible says when our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. But when our hearts do condemn us, then the opposite is true. We don't have confidence before God. And I remember crying out to God, I need to hear you. I need to know my dad's going to be okay. I need to know that when I pray, something's going to happen. I mean, this, we're talking about my dad here and radio silence. And this discouraged me greatly when I was a young man. It affected my walk. It affected my faith adversely. And that day was a tormenting day. That next night was a tormenting day. My dad ultimately pulled through, but I really didn't. I was different after that. And I woke up and I got my Bible one particular morning. I did one of those, uh, you know, drop and point things. Powerful devotional principle. <laughs> just show me something, you know. I was mad and just to need something. And, and I pointed to the scripture. And I still didn't understand it at the time, but I do many years later. But Psalm 66, 18, I've, I've hidden this in my heart many years later. But it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I didn't really get it but I get it now. And I want to share that with you. I mean, if I could be real with you, the truth is there were many events like that after that day that I'm sad to say, but I didn't know this truth and experience the reality of this truth and the freedom possible until after I got married and after I was in ministry, unfortunately, after I became a minister of the word publicly. And the number of reasons is it went so long and stayed there in my life wasn't that the Holy Spirit couldn't it's that I wouldn't. And I wouldn't allow, I wouldn't allow anyone to know except God. And I've taught this principle because of things that have happened in my life. But if you want God's forgiveness, if you just want forgiveness, talk to God about it. He'll definitely forgive you. But if you want to change, you have to talk to someone else. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be changed, healed, different. And I wouldn't because of pride. Pride kept me bound for so many years, and it kept me out of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, and I lived in a pattern of grieving Him, even into my pastorate, as I'm ashamed to say. So again, I hope you hear me on this. I know firsthand what you face in different areas, different habits, and different iniquities in your life. But the Holy Spirit wants to restore that which was broken. Jesus came to pay for that sin, but you have to walk away from it in order to be in intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if you come in a relationship with him, and if you'll, if you'll say, I, I, he, instead of believing he can't, 
just accept the fact that you have a part to play in opening up and being vulnerable and transparent. If you will, the Holy Spirit will sanctify you. He'll purify your heart. But you have to open up. Isn't it time to give up that habit? Isn't it time to let go of that iniquity in your life? Do you know what keeps the church powerless? Iniquity. Iniquity. That's what I wanted to share with you and try to be as vulnerable as I can without being indiscreet. I could say more, and I would if it were private, but this is public. But I want you to believe you can be free. And more importantly than just being free, just so you can walk out already clean, I want you to have a friendship with the Holy Spirit that's intimate and personal and dynamic. Because where intimacy lives, sin dies. Where sin lives, intimacy dies. And I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you stand to your feet, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can stand. We're going to close. I'm going to ask my leaders to come down front right now. I'm going to just challenge you. Let me say this. A lot of times, you know, I, I think sometimes you need a picture. Just be very still. Try not to move around too much if you could, just for the people that God is speaking to. I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. We turn down the volume. Worse yet, though, this is a picture that I had recently, is we give him a stiff arm. We push him, we literally push him away. We push him away, we stiff arm, we Heisman the Holy Spirit. And then we have the audacity sometimes to say, speak to me, help me, where are you? But we've already given him the Heisman with our iniquitous life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's a person. And he's not a prude, and he's not an ogre, and he's not wanting to rub sin in your face. He's not wanting to shame you. Uh, trust me, he's not wanting to shame you. He's wanting to set you free, and he's wanting to be your friend and help you with so many things in his life. But you have to be willing to open up. You have to be willing to open up. And so I'm going to pray for you in a general way right now, but I'm going I'm to dismiss so that it's not just a big hubbub and everybody's looking down the front. But I challenge you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some people in this room. You might need to stay for just five minutes and just have somebody pray for you. Maybe you need to schedule an appointment with someone and you need to, you need to get offline. And you say, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. It's not going to go another year. That's why we're praying and fasting, to break the power of the enemy so we can live strong lives, have the vitality and victory of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to people today? This is one of those times that though in spite of sin, because of your word, you would come near people right now and say, son, daughter, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you through this vessel. I'm talking to you right now. Will you humble yourself? Will you walk away? Will you turn? Will you turn from sin and do what's right? I want to I help you. I don't, want to, I don't want any hindrances and obstacles in your life. I want you to let go of that thing you think you can't let go of. You've, you, you, you begin to trust in that. You lean on that. You're concerned that if I let that go, that I won't have my needs. No, I'll meet all of those things. I know you better. And you've been deceived and you've been lied to. And there's distortion. And there's distraction. And I want to break through all that. The Holy Spirit is speaking to people in this room.
Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to come to Christ for the first time and see the power and the, and the, and the payment of sin dealt with once and for all. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you need and want to know him today, would you raise your hand and say, I need to know Christ today. I don't want to walk out of here without knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to come into relationship with him. Is there one? This could change the course and trajectory of your life eternally because you came to Christ today. Thank you, Lord. For every other person that's here today with the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I pray that they feel your incredible love for them, that there's conviction, but, but conviction is really motivated by love. Conviction unattended, conviction ignored becomes condemnation. But condemnation is never from God. It's never his voice. It's never his message. If you're hearing that, it's of the devil. I encourage you to receive prayer today. I love you. God loves you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. The Lord bless you and keep you. See you guys real soon. Amen.